And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And we are very excited for this week's edition of the show, our first three-time guest. Is that correct? It is the the first three-time guest. And I know the last time we chatted about this individual... Uh, who we'll be bringing on shortly. I thought it was like his fourth time, but it's we have confirmed it's three, right? I, I think think that is the case. Yes, Unless, but you know that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's you know what is it in um, the sa- Saturday Night Live when it's like the what is it five? No, what, there's like a club, right? Of how many times yeah. you host Saturday Night Live? Yeah, it's the five timers club. When do, so I don't get my bathrobe yet? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, don't hey 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 don't wait don't hop in on the show yet. But I mean that voice Sorry. you heard, I must have lost my head. Yeah, that voice you heard is our guest. We're gonna you know keep it a little bit of, a little bit of suspense. But yes, it's funny because right prior to our guest piping in there, I was about to say I know that our guest will be able to answer the question I was asking about the the five timers club or whatever. So yes, we do have a bathrobe with. Uh, the uh, young a picture of young Tony on the back. Actually, it's uh, oh yeah, that's yeah. right. We did we we used to have those uh, hoodies. The young Tony. We should make bathrobes with. Uh, would you want bathrobes with your face on the back of it? I I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, each week this show is presented by the team at Municipal Solutions. Of course, we couldn't do it without that crew. Uh, Tony, I know that you can expand a bit on what they do. Yes, we want to thank our presenting sponsor yet again, Municipal Solutions, John Mutton, the gang. Uh, they are Ontario's leading MZO firm. Uh, they are great at development approvals, permit expediting, really anything to do with municipalities, uh, planning services, engineering services, architectural services, even things as, uh, as minor as minor variances and land severances, building permits for all of your Municipal Solutions needs go to municipalsolutions.ca. And then we are also continuing to be sponsored by another couple of sponsors, including the harrislegacy.ca. We are living in Mike Harris's Ontario today. Explore that through the book, The Harris Legacy, Reflections on a Transformational Premier. Uh, and you can find that uh, any bookstore that uh, you tend to use, or you can go to the harrislegacy.ca and order your copy. It's a bestseller, Jody, so they're doing very, very well. Uh, essay contributors include David Frum, Jack Mintz, uh, Gord Miller, uh, who is the former environment commissioner, David Hurley, and more. It's edited, of course, by Alistair Campbell, who's been on the show a few weeks ago. Go to the harrislegacy.ca to order yours. And then we are also sponsored by Not Reserving Judgment Podcast. If you're enjoying this show, we think you'll love the podcast Not Reserving Judgment from our friends at the Canadian Constitution Foundation, a charity dedicated to a freer Canada. 
In each episode, hosts Josh DeHaas, Joanna Barron, and Christine Van Gein update you on the latest legal news, tell you about legal stories that you might have missed, and give their bad legal takes of the week, where they take a lighthearted look at legal opinions that didn't quite land. Not Reserving Judgment isn't just for lawyers. It's a show for all Canadians who care about their rights and freedoms. The hosts aren't afraid of controversial topics. I think the last one I listened to uh, was about uh, the BC Supreme Court decision on uh, being able to uh, use drugs next to schoolyards, that kind of thing. So they, they take those controversial topics, and you can find Not Reserving Judgment wherever else you get your podcasts download the latest episode today and finally we want to thank our terrestrial radio hosts at hunters bay radio in muskoka huntersbayradio.com every saturday morning they repeat this and many other very successful and very interesting podcasts thank you to our sponsors you do you're doing a wonderful job with the sponsors as of late like you you've really really ramped up your game there Thank you. Well, it's oh. it's it's great when we uh, when we have uh, that interest from sponsors, and we're always looking for other sponsors. So if anybody's listening, uh, you know, uh, we we gotta we gotta keep uh, keep it going here because uh, those Bentleys don't pay for themselves, it's do they? True. Mine hasn't moved in a while because I can't afford to gas it up. We need a couple <laughs> new sponsors. <laughs> That's right, so and you're uh, afraid to cross the border in it too. Yes, hundred percent. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm excited to introduce our guest today, and we're going to get right to it. Uh, he was a left-handed pitcher for six different teams from 1965 to 1988. <laughs> he won four Cy Young Awards wow. with the Philadelphia Phillies, as well as the 1980 World Series. And, of course, he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1994. I'm pumped for this. Please welcome Steve Carlton. <laughs> well, he's half right. He's, he's got it half right. Why? Yeah. What, what's the producer? Well, my producer wrote that down. Where am I wrong? But well, I, I Steve thought is it was right. your chat GPT that did that, didn't it, Jody? <laughs> I think Just the Steve kidding. is right. Just kidding. We are honored to welcome back, celebrating, or going into his 18th year of the agenda, which Ooh. we can talk about, Mr. Steve Paik and our first three-time guest and recipient of a bathrobe to be sent at a later date. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> Hello, guys. <laughs> Great having you, buddy. It's. Uh, I think it's good to be back. I think. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this good. goes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it really uh, we 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 are a bit of a family. We've we've had yeah. so much fun on this show. Where this is the hundred ninety first um, podcast that we've done uh, hmm. and, and published. So we feel like we you know we've we've had some momentum and we we've we've shown consistency. So uh, having someone like I think Steve uh, was on the last time was on our hundredth podcast is that right jody i think that is right yeah yeah it was he was a sh our special guest for our 100th episode yeah yeah that's right yeah so uh so you know how i'll remember this I, I i don't know tony you're probably like me in this way when you see a number you want to come up with a mnemonic device to remember the number so immediately when you said 191 i thought johnny bauer john Tavares. that's how i'm going to remember this okay well, it could be it could be worse than that. That's for sure. That's uh, you're in you're in the the upper echelons there. So that's here, here. great. Yeah. So I, I don't know, uh, Jody. Do you want to start or should I start? What? How? How do you want it well, to go? It's the Steve. Steve has a storied career in broadcasting, yes. and I'm I'm going to be a little selfish here, and this is on behalf of Tony and myself. But you know, Steve listens to every episode that we put out, and I and I know he listens to many many podcasts also as part of one himself. But Steve, if you could do one thing to improve our show, what would you do? Fewer conservatives. 
<laughs> All right, Steve, actually, thanks, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and in fact, it's, it's, it's a very fair question, and I think my answer is very fair. Tony and I have talked about this in the past, and I've said, you guys, first of all, you guys have a good rapport together. So even when you don't have a guest, it's very, it's, it's fun to listen to. But I think you guys, you know, you, you can be a conservative podcast and still have guests on. And I know, Tony, you have the odd artist on who's not necessarily conservative. But, but I think you can have political guests on who don't necessarily have to be in the cabinet of Doug Ford or don't have to be, uh, you know, conservative pundits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, if you get into the odd scrap with a liberal, uh, you know, that's called good radio, guys. So Absolutely. I, I'd try that. Yeah, no, that's maybe fair. we should reach out better because uh, you know because we 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 have had you know liberals and uh, even Charlie Angus has been on and Peter uh, McKay, Peter McKay, oh, no, no, <laughs> he's a conservative. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> but uh, the Bonnie Crombie uh, has been on. She's yes. a past guest. But yeah, let's uh, let's make an effort, uh, Jody. We'll try to find. Uh, we've been trying to get your uh, the Kingston guy, uh, Jody. Uh, Garrison. Well, Mark Garrison, Garrison. Yeah. I, th- I yeah. honestly believe there's some liberals that are a little nervous about coming on. Maybe I'm wrong, but we, but we give everyone a fair shake. We do not. I mean, you think of the liberals that you just rhymed off there, Tony. And even when you, we had Charlie uh, from the NDP, I, those were, those were great shows, great interviews. Scott Bryson has been on. Scott Bryson, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. yeah, we'll, uh, we'll try to get a few more. That's, that's, that's good advice. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We, 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 and we, Look, our show, look, we, we're not a hard hitting show, but that we, we like to have some fun with it. We ask sincere questions, but we're not here to make somebody's life miserable for coming on the program. And in fact, I I think you can, I, I think you can do a good service for the public that listens by demonstrating that you guys as conservatives can have people on from other parties and you can have a civilized disagreement, uh, even a sparky disagreement with them that in a civilized fashion and that not everything has to be, you know, the way it is down South where it's gotten just completely tribal and completely obscene. Well, so I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about that because you've, you're a, you're not only a broadcaster, but you're, I would call you an historian uh, in the sense that the books you've written are about our collective Canadian history, uh, whether it's uh, Bill Davis or John Turner or what have you. Um, yeah, what is your take on it? Just maybe I'm getting too old now, but it just seems like we're in a crazy time period where uh, the uh, the the kind of debate that we're having is not what it used to be 20 years ago. I agree, and part of that is social media, and part of that is legacy media fearing for its life, for its existence, and therefore maybe covers things a little differently. And part of it is. Part of it is that politicians today seem to practice, not all of them, some of them seem to practice the art of the politics of personal destruction more than they did back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'll give you a little example of this. Uh, I, one of the books I wrote was about a former Ontario premier named John Robarts, and he was the premier of Ontario from 61 to 71. And one of the first things he did when he got the job was he said, all the members of the legislature, regardless of party, we're going to take a train trip up to Northern Ontario for a week, and then we'll come back down to Union Station. So we'll come full circle and we'll spend a week up there trying to get to know each other. And when you've spent a week talking about your families, showing people pictures of your grandchildren, it's really hard to come back into question period 
and and put your boot on the throat of your opponent because you can't wait to squish the life out of him. Mm. And it just it just seemed to me that they had a completely different approach back then, which was the assumption that we all got elected to come here and do the public's business. We have some differences of opinion on how that ought to be done, but I don't question your motives and you don't question my motives. And at the end of the day, you know, we're here to do a job. And I just, I don't know, am I wrong? But I think there's just a few too many people today, of course, in the United States, but even here who may not believe that anymore. No, I mean, I got to say, I, I tried to comport myself in that way when I was in parliament and in the legislature. And uh, I had, I thought, very good relationships with people across the, the aisle when I was in government and, and when I was in opposition in, in, the par- in parliament. Uh, so it, it can be done. But uh, I think you're right that the incentives are very different now. I, I was asked just this week, somebody asked me, uh, you know, saying, you know, uh, do you encourage people to run for office? Uh, and I, I say, I do, but they've got to have very different skill sets from the time that I first ran for the legislature in 1995. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you, you know, very you, thick skin would be at the top of the list. That's yeah, number thick one. skin. And, and quite frankly, you've got, you do have to be able to communicate on social media and, uh, and be able to, the, the way that you draw attention to yourself is so completely different. Uh, and, and so, uh, w- if someone were to ask me, should I run for political office? I, I, I've, I've consistently said yes. But now I say, make sure you've got the skill sets that are necessary in the 21st century. Not don't don't look at my political career and and how I moved up the ranks uh, from a, a party volunteer to party president to uh, to Ontario legislature to Canada's parliament. That that may not be the way anymore. Uh, mm. And uh, and so the skill sets are different. The experiences are different. Uh, and so, you know, it's just a different world is what I'm trying to say. It is. And I think the politics of outrage has really taken over. I mean, there just seems to be so much mileage in it for everybody to try to, as opposed to work with the other side, to try to create outrage with the other side or against the other side. Because if you can get that clip on social media or on the news, you can fundraise off that. And it becomes a, a truly vicious circle. Yeah. where you need more outrage to raise more money so that you can <laughs> stay in office longer, so you can do more outrage, so you can raise more money. And I, I mean, I don't know how we break that cycle. There's just there's so many incentives nowadays for people to practice that kind of politics. It's, it's I mean, it's a wonder we get anything done. Yeah, it is a wonder. I, although I must say, uh, Steve, I, I uh, took a line from Dwight Duncan. You remember Dwight? Sure, former finance minister in the uh, liberal government of Dalton sure. McGuinty. So he had a line, and I used it throughout my whole time of parliament, that there's only four words you need to know in opposition. Those bastards did what? <laughs> 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 I got that from Dwight, and I never forgot it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so maybe that's one of the timeless things about uh, politics. Well, you some know, things uh, change and I, some things don't. I was having a chat with Bob Ray the other day, our UN ambassador, and he got elected to parliament, I think it was 1978 in a by-election and in the riding of Broadview in downtown Toronto. And one of the first people he met when he got to Parliament Hill was John Diefenbaker, Hmm. who had not much longer to go as a conservative uh, then opposition member. And 
Deef said, I'm going to get, I, I like your style. Remember, Bob Ray was this 30-year-old, um, you know, whiz kid, finance yeah. critic, real rising star in the NDP at the time. And he said, I'm going to give you some advice, young man. Whenever you get up to raise a question in question period, go for the jugular every time. Just <laughs> every go for time. the jugular. <laughs> and I think Bob Ray took that advice much of the time. He was he was very effective. I in my first term in Parliament, he he was uh, acting liberal leader, I guess, uh, and um, I I found him very effective in Parliament. Very He's effective. one of the very few guys. I, I think in my entire life of watching politics, one of the very few people who could get up on his feet and ask a question without having a note in his hand. No notes. Yeah. Now and Pierre Polyev Pierre is like that too, Steve. Yep. No, I say he's one of the few, not the only one, but one of the few. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, things have changed and you've, you've seen a lot. Um, do you, do, if, if someone comes up to you and says, I'm interested in a career, let's say I'm interested in a career, uh, your, your type of career in the media, what, what sort of advice would you give them? I guess the first question I ask them is, why do you want to be in this business? And if their answer is, oh, cause I love being on camera and I want to be famous. I say to them, well, then this really is not the business for you. Uh, and if they say to me, on the other hand, I'm really curious about how the world works and I want to understand it and try to impart whatever I learn to other people, I say, okay, bingo, now we're in business. Let's talk. So two, two very different reasons for people to want to get in. And uh, one of them I have uh, no respect for, and one of them I have a lot of respect for. Is it hard? I mean, it, it just seems that the uh, world of paid full-time journalists is shrinking and shrinking though. Is totally. That, is that, but on the other hand, if you want to start a news blog or some kind of online edition of something. Never been easier. Never been easier. Yeah. If you want to be your own publisher, uh, all you need is a website and anybody can create a website these days. You're right. We're going through we're going through sort of cataclysmic times in journalism. I think Canadian journalism has shed 10,000 jobs over the last few years. Um, you know, I know when I went to journalism school, uh, the idea was get an education so you can get out there and find a job. And if you go to journalism school today, be it at a college or university anywhere in the country, you don't want to find a job when you get out. You want to make a job when you get out. Uh, the, the jobs at legacy media are just becoming fewer and fewer all the time. We saw the news, the CBC has just laid off 600 people, uh, Metroland, the community newspapers laid off several hundred people. Uh, on the other hand, there are smaller voices that are coming up to take their place, but they, they really can't take their place completely. They can do what they can do, but you can't tell me that, um, you can't tell me that, Tony, let's put it this way. Uh, at our earliest time at Queen's Park, I, I started at Queen's Park in the early 1980s covering Bill Davis's government. And, you know, the North Bay Nugget had its own reporter at Queen's Park. The Windsor right. Star, the Sudbury Star, the Hamilton Spectator, they all had their own columnists at Queen's Park. The press gallery was huge. It was 100 members. Um, you know, today, I don't know. Are there 25 members of the Queen's Park press gallery today? Um it just, it really does show you how things have changed. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I thought there's like a dozen, but I could be wrong, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it is a shadow of its former self. And, uh, but at the same time, when I look at my kids and I, you're probably in the same situation, they are huge consumers of news. 
It's yes, just, just not on the six o'clock news supper hour newscast. Yeah, exactly. They it's on their phone. In an entirely different way. So uh, it's not as if people are tired of news. It's how they get it. And I guess there is a concern, uh, you know, about bias in the media. Let's, let's be, let's be frank about that. And, Absolutely. Uh, some of it is earned and some of it is not. Uh, and uh, that means that we're more and more people are in their own little cubby holes when it comes to the kind of news that they're consuming. So you've probably noticed that too. No question. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Um, uh, look, whatever opprobrium the legacy media are dealing with right now, some of it is justifiably earned. There's a, a sort of a, a group, I'll, I'll use Pierre Polyev's language here. There is a certain arrogance that comes with uh, becoming the gatekeeper. I, I remember well uh, during the Gulf War that David Brinkley, the legendary broadcaster in the United States, appeared before Congress and some congressman said to him, uh, Mr. Brinkley, I wonder if you could help us understand what exactly is news? And his answer was, news is what I say it is. Oh, and, gosh. you know, he did not, I don't think he meant to be arrogant and it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it, he didn't mean it to be an arrogant response. I think he genuinely meant to say, look, it is my job to look at the myriad things that are happening in the world today and make a decision about what is of importance and interest to my viewers. I think that's what he meant to say. Now, you know, there's certainly nefarious ways to look at that. And, uh, you know, and some politicians do their best to make it sound as nefarious as possible. But in effect, that is the job of, of a news person is to figure out what, what should be or is of interest to his or her audience. And, and, and you know, those, those pillars upon which the whole journalistic firmament rested over the last 150 years in Canada, they're all falling down right now. And uh, there's a lot of new entrance to it. And that's the way it is. We can sit here and spit into the wind all we like, but that's the way it is, as uh, yeah. as another great journalist once said. You know, the the only thing, and, and obviously there, there are different types of news people. Some are, uh, are have opinion columns or publications or what have you, and others are there to uh, to present the news uh, in in some form, and and I think one of the criticisms is the way um, people are being educated in journalism schools now. There's no, uh, they're being taught that there's there is no objectivity, that that's just a, you know, white supremacy or patriarchy or something, uh, and uh, and therefore you can be as subjective as you want uh, to push a particular point of view. Is this something that you've heard as a criticism as well? Oh, no question. I, I mean, I, I agree with your characterization of the way things are, and I share your concern that they ought not to be that way. Now, I'm 63 years old. You can call me old school. And uh, I guess in this respect, I am. But I just never thought it was my job, having got an education in broadcast journalism, I never thought it was my job to be a quote unquote social justice warrior when I came out of journalism school. I thought my job was to try to go out there and collect facts, analyze them as best I could, uh, presenting competing points of view and you know, presenting it in such a way as to allow the viewer, uh, him or herself, to make up uh, their own mind about these things. Uh, I, that, listen, I've got a, I got a bunch of 20-somethings that I work with at uh, TVO who are producers on the agenda, and some of them agree with my view on how things are, and some of them think I'm hopelessly out of date about it, and and are trying to educate me on the way uh, on the way that they think things ought to be. 
And um, okay, that's the debate we're in the middle of right now. Right, right, right. Hey, can I ask, uh, uh, and maybe Jody wants to hop in at, at some point, but um, you've interviewed a lot of people uh, over the years, the decades. Was there, can you just talk about an interview where you did the interview and as you were doing the interview, you knew in your mind, oh my God, this is, this is, this is going to be breaking news. This is going to be huge because, uh, they have said something, uh, that is just completely newsworthy that I did not expect. Do you have a story like that? Do you know, here's the crazy thing about that. I've probably done, and obviously I've encountered, but I know how many years I've been doing this. I know how many programs I do a week. I know how many guests on average we have per program. So if you do the math, it's probably something like 35,000 interviews. And nothing comes to mind, Tony. Oh my gosh. I, just, okay. I don't yeah. think I'm in that business. I'm not in the business of talking to people for the purpose of making some fantastic headline. I'm I'm much more about the inside of the newspaper as opposed to the front page of the newspaper. Gotcha. gotcha. And so when I when I'm doing interviews, what tends to come into my mind is, is this any good? Um, am I am I hitting the right notes here? Is what is this conversation working? And uh, that that's where my focus is. And it, and there are unfortunately still far too many interviews that I do, be they one on ones or with panels, where I think to myself, "Gosh, this is not as good as I wish it were." And and that's I think one of the reasons I keep coming back to work every day because I'm really hoping to to nail the perfect interview one of these days, and I'm still trying to make that happen. Got it. Got it. Uh, 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 one more thing, Jody, before uh, I, I cede the floor to you, but um, uh, obviously Steve already has his podcast as well as on Polly podcast. We should mention that. Uh, so t- tell me what you think of the podcast world. Uh, what, what's what's your take on it? I think it's fantastic. And Jody mentioned off the top, I subscribe to a lot of podcasts, including obviously this one, which I listen to all the time. Uh, I, I think it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful way. And, you know, this is one of the things that I find so hilarious. Television is getting, if I can call it television, there's really no such thing as television anymore. But, but if, if you can, if you consider sort of the typical news or current affairs program, they all seem to think they need to shorten everything because they think people have no appetite for, or attention span to pay attention anymore. And I think one of the things podcasting is proving to us is that that's just not true at all. People have, they have wonderful attention spans if you've got good content that will capture them. And uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I listen to, there's something called Spit and Chicklets, which is a a hockey podcast that I just adore. And its episodes are three and four hours long every week. And I I really enjoy that. There's three guys sitting around talking about hockey. And they do interviews and, and you know, it's, um, it's, it's nothing I think you or I could do, Tony, because there's just incredible profanity on the program, but, but, um, but it's really entertaining and I've watched a lot of hockey and so I enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's all sorts of podcasts that, um, you know, that, that test what you would think would be, uh, the patience of listeners, but, but, um, no, they've got, if you, if you present well, you'll have your audience with you and they will. They will follow you where you want to go, including if you want to go for half an hour on one subject or an hour or four hours. So that's what I love about podcasting. Jody? Yeah, I wanted to actually, Steve, 
go back a little bit to when you were we were talking about interviews or Tony was asking you about people you've interviewed and and here in Belleville uh we recently had a, a pretty prominent individual in the Canadian media world pass away he spent his last few years uh here in Belleville and that of course was Peter C Newman um I'm we just went curious to the same high a, school believe it or not well there okay well there it's already begun so my question was any interesting stories about Peter cuz I I did a quick search. You've you've had him on your program and talking about, um, I think about liberal politics and, and some other stuff. But maybe do you have any interesting stories about Peter or anything you can share? Well, while Peter C. Newman and I went to the same high school, I should hasten to add we did not go at the same time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he he predated me by maybe forty years, something like that. But uh, well, I guess it wouldn't have been forty, maybe maybe twenty five. Um, look, Peter C. Newman was a legend. Uh, he was doing stuff in journalism that the rest of us were reading as we were trying to get into the profession. And uh, I, I think this man's legacy is secure. Now, that's not to say that he didn't have any bumps along the road on the way, because he sure did. And I remember one of the, I mean, one of the biggest bumps was was in one of his more recent books, where he essentially uh, predicted the end of the Liberal Party of Canada as we knew it. And of course, they went on to win the next election in a majority government. So you know, even the best get it wrong sometimes. Uh, I think there was a book that he had agreed. Uh, he had done hours and hours of taped interviews with Brian Mulroney uh, when Mr. Mulroney was, I think, leader of the opposition and then prime minister. And I think the condition under which uh, those interviews were to be done was that they would not be done while Mr. Mulroney was, boy, I hope I, I hope I get this right, either still in office or still alive, something like that. Uh, there was there was going to be a length of time um, between those interviews and when the information from them could be published, because Mr. Mulroney was very candid and very blunt about a lot of the people he was talking about in those interviews, and he obviously didn't want that information coming out while he was still in office. Well, for for reasons that I think lawyers can argue about, uh, Peter C. Newman. Uh, according to Mr. Mulrooney, anyway, reneged on the deal and published a book called The Secret Tapes of Brian Mulrooney. And it caused a great deal of uh, heartache and embarrassment for Mr. Mulrooney because he said so many things that maybe he ought not to have said about some people. And and it resulted in one of the funniest speeches at a Canadian parliamentary press gallery dinner that I have ever seen, Jody. And I don't know, well, I'm going to have to use profanity uh, to tell this story because I'm simply reporting it as it actually happened. Of so course. here's the press gallery dinner. You can beat me afterwards if you need to. <laughs> here's the press gallery dinner. And the MC says, uh, although he couldn't be here tonight, and this is just after the book, The Secret Tapes of Brian Mulroney has come out, and everybody in the press gallery dinner is talking about the salacious details emerging from this book. Uh, okay, uh, press gallery dinner, MC gets up there and says, now, ladies and gentlemen, we have this important message to you from the prime minister's office. And they cue the video and on comes Brian Mulroney looking his prime ministerial best, sitting behind the desk of the PMO. He's got his half glasses on, looking very regal. And he looks up at the camera and he says in his very deep voice, uh, your excellency, governor general, prime minister, opposition leader, ladies and gentlemen of the press, Peter C. Newman, Go fuck yourself. Oh, geez. thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole thing. That was the whole speech. Brought the house down. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's, yeah. Uh, no, there's uh, there's always a good story in there somewhere. I, I you know, and and uh, I don't know. Uh, 
I wouldn't have done that deal if I were if I were Brian Mulroney because the you know there's so much that could go wrong with that. So much could and did go wrong. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I guess uh, live and learn. I think we're out of time, Jody. Yeah, I think yeah. we're up against Listen, it. Although, although, although Steve just said that if we have the proper content, we can go for another three hours. I think that's what true. He's getting yeah. at. I don't necessarily think I constitute proper content. So maybe you guys better bail while we're still rolling here. We haven't even talked about the Red Sox yet or the Tiger Cats. Or so, oh, so. let's avoid both those subjects. It's <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing good to talk about there. No, no. no fair hey, enough. actually quickly, quickly, Steve, because I know you're a baseball aficionado like us and, and whatever, and you probably follow closer than we do. But did you believe for a second that Otani was coming to the Jays? Not only did I believe it, but I was desperate to believe it. Yeah, I just thought here. it would be such a fantastic thing. And I got caught hook, line, and sinker with all the fake videos that were on social media because I wanted to believe it, you know? And, and uh, you know, had it happened, I mean, how many more baseball games would you and I be going to to yeah. go down there and see him play? But it uh, didn't work out. Too bad. Yeah, and that was, you know, I mean, we, we, we could go further with this, but just quickly, you know, there was a, I, the reporter, I think it was John Morosi, who apparently, I don't know a ton about him, but, you know, he's he's... Good sources. He's, he's good. Done great he's, yep. Yeah, he's, he's good. normally very reliable. Yeah, he he was like, how does that happen? Do you just get so excited, like you said about, like, do you think he slipped more into a fan mode and and wanted to believe it as well and put out those 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 tweets and info or, you know, that that's possible. But I would say he just he got a bad tip from somewhere. Yeah, uh, I I don't think I mean I I I read and watch his stuff a lot, and I don't think he's the kind of guy who makes something up. I think he got a tip from somebody, turned out not to be the case. Uh, he may have heard that Otani had gone for a tour of the Blue Jays spring training facilities in Dunedin. He put two and two together and, you know, maybe he leapt a little further than he should have. Who knows? But it's just, I, I, I lost it. The, God, the Dodgers just have endless amounts of money to spend and they're spending it. And, you know, if anybody's going to be able to beat them this year, good luck. Well, the Toronto sports teams, need I say more? Anyway. No, you needn't. <laughs> Steve Pakin, always a pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks for listening to our podcasts and uh, for being a good sport too. I look forward to getting my bathrobe from you and Jody. Exactly. <laughs> always a great time with Steve. And of course, now, because he is a, well, he is a three-time guest, he, he will be our first four-time guest. Unless someone catches up with them or something in the well, in the meantime, got to get Premier Daniel Smith back on. Well, I think I think Pacini is would be oh, the right. next runner up. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. But even maybe Robert Benzies has he been on more than once? I, I think, think so. he was on uh, this podcast, and then we did that Looney Politics podcast for a while. Oh, that's right. That's I think right. he was on that with us. We should get them to write some more checks. <laughs> well. You, you work on that. <laughs> All right. Well, each week, of course, we do this show with the amazing support of some great partners. Of course, our presenting sponsor, uh, John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And uh, the harrislegacy.ca. That is the Harris Legacy, Reflections on a Transformational Premier. You can... Order it at your bookstore at, or at the harrislegacy.ca and not reserving podcast. Uh, you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thanks again to Hunters Bay Radio for their Saturday morning uh, 
publication or posting of this podcast and many other good podcasts as well. And Tony, I'm off to Florida for a week next week, so you'll be on your own. So I don't know what you got up your sleeve, but it better be I'm good. I'm going to be in Sicily next week. Oh, well, then who's doing the show? <laughs> That's it. Exactly. I guess, I guess we'll have to figure <laughs> something out there. Hey, yeah. actually, we'll take some of Steve's advice. Not only will we get a liberal as a guest, maybe we'll get a liberal to just host the show. That's right. They can do we the can whole thing. get someone to sit in. Maybe exactly. we can get someone to sit in. We should have guest, guest uh, hosts. Now, see, now we're on to something. We should work on that. Let's try and do that. Okay. So. Okay. Let's get our, get All right, our production well, we, team on it. We, we will uh, come back, compare our notes from Sicily and Florida, see how uh, accurate they are and how close they are and what we do. And then we will, uh, we'll talk soon. You betcha.